Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision Podcast. Joining Barb and myself today is Paul Kasarwani, CEO of a new fintech called Cushion AI. Actually new, but not that new. Um, and I look forward to hearing a little bit more from you, Paul, about what inspired you to start the company. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the pod. I'm excited to be here. I am um, super excited too, and the new Bob Barb is because um, this is this is something that we've been begging forever and ever and ever. Like, come on, people, we need we need something like this. But before we get to the fun part, um, let's hear from you a little bit more about what you did before Cushion, because um, you had you had a very interesting journey uh, around different places, should we say? Yeah, happy happy to share a bit about my background. Um, so I grew up in Lebanon in the Middle East, which is a third world country with a super corrupt and messed up banking system. And when I came to the US for college 20 years ago, I was excited and hopeful to be in a more stable country, a more stable banking system. But when I graduated college in 2008, the housing market had collapsed and I got my first taste of, unfortunately, consumer finance in America and how that can be volatile as well. Um, I knew back then that I wanted to start my own company, but at the time I didn't have the skills, the experience or the network necessary to do that. And the market was terrible. So to prepare myself for starting a company one day and de-risking myself, I moved to Silicon Valley and immersed myself in tech. Um, and I do have a computer engineering degree. I'm quite technical. Uh, but I decided that I did not want to write code for a living. So I positioned myself to be like a very technical person in non-engineering roles like sales, revenue operations, and product management. And I spent the next eight years working at a handful of companies ranging from an eight-person startup uh, to companies the size of Twitter during its hypergrowth phase and was lucky enough to be part of three consecutive exits. The most notable was Twitter's IPO in 2013. Um, after that, I knew it was time to focus on problems that I deeply care about and uh, decided to start my own company. I, I was going to say, um, many of us have a lot of things we do care deeply about, but caring about it versus actually having the guts to start something to focus on it. That is very, very different. So kudos to you on that. Um, tell us a little bit more about Cushion. Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued because one of the things that the company offers is uh, being able to aggregate Buy Now, Pay Later. Now, we know Buy Now, Pay Later has been on uh, the news headlines, better or worse, for the last two years plus. Um, but you were the first in the market to say, hey, wait a minute, um, we need something to bring all of these relationships together to help consumers manage it a little bit better. Curious to know from your perspective, why why that one? And what was the other service before you start by now, pay later aggregator? And why do you think no one has done this yet? I would imagine you would have a ton of people running after you and say, wait a minute, how do they do that? I won't be in on it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's inevitable, but... Um... Yeah, we're in a fortunate position. And so I think you asked about three things, like the inspiration behind Cushion, uh, about our, the buy now, pay later aggregator, and then why no one's done it. So I'm going to try to answer all three through kind of the journey of the company. And if you want me to fast forward through any of it, let me know. But let, let's get let's go on this journey together. So um, I started Cushion for a few simple reasons. Um, I realized very early on that consumers are not equipped to manage their own finances. At least most consumers are not. 
They're not very financially savvy. They're making emotion-based decisions. And every year that goes by, it's becoming easier, faster, more frictionless to buy things online, especially things that you may not need. So the idea behind Cushion was let's create a product that could manage your day-to-day finances better than you can, better than you can, like the boring stuff. Make sure your bills get paid on time, avoid bank fees, all that. And we knew that nobody was going to trust us. We're a small, you know, garage band startup. No one's going to say, sure, here's, here's all my money, manage my finances. That wasn't going to happen. We really needed to get everyone's attention and earn their trust. And that's when we decided to launch a first of its kind product was the automated bank fee negotiation app. Uh, we basically built the first system that would programmatically negotiate with banks on your behalf. This is way before OpenAI or ChatGPT and convince them to refund some of your overdraft fees. Um, this product did incredibly well, especially during COVID in 2020. And we successfully refunded $15 million worth of overdraft fees back to consumers. And this was at a time that they really needed it. Um, and that should be like the end of the story. That's kind of where things just started to get interesting for us. Um, in early 2021, we dug deep into the data to understand why are consumers getting hit with all these bank fees? Like, what is the underlying issue? And several light bulbs went off in this process. Uh, the first was that, you know, consumers have a major cash flow problem, especially when it comes to managing their bills. So they're either not budgeting well, or the bill dates just happen to fall on days that don't match up with when they get paid. So they're leaning on overdraft fees to make sure essentials get covered, like their internet or phone. Um, we also learned that you know consumers pay 15 billion bills in America each year, and each person has their own wonky system for doing it, whether it's sending themselves calendar invites, using seven different apps, uh, fighting with their significant other to figure out who paid what. And that's obviously not scalable and very error-prone. But, but the most interesting learning was um, we picked up on the trend that you know there's a new bill on the block, as we like to call it, and that was buy now, pay later. The adoption by consumers for buy now, pay later, 19, 2019, 2020, 2021 was very aggressive. And with that uptick, we decided to immerse ourselves in that space. The entire company started to buy things using buy now, pay later, uh, stuff like Klarna, Affirm, Afterpay. And it became very clear, very quickly, that this is unmanageable. Um, some payments would be pay in four, pay in six, pay in 12. Some had interest, some didn't. The schedules were sometimes weekly, semi-monthly, monthly. And so if you compound just a few of these on top of each other, there's no way you're going to be able to keep track of that. Um, and what was even more interesting is we noticed that the entire bill landscape had changed. So 20 years ago, you had a few bills, your rent, your car payment, your phone bill. That's it. And then in 2010s, everything became a subscription. Netflix, Hulu, Spotify, Tinder, you name it. There's now a subscription for it. So that's another 8 to 15 things you need to track on top of your core bills. And then now you have buy, the buy now, pay later era, which is a whole slew of payments you need to make on top of your subscriptions and on top of your core payments. So going back to your question, yes, we've built the only buy now, pay later aggregator out there. It is a first of its kind product, and we've had a team of PhDs working on this for the past 18 months, and it's been incredibly difficult and very, very rewarding. Um, so to kind of bring this all back together, we've created a single place to manage, track, and pay all of your buy now, pay later loans in one dashboard. You no longer have to go from the Klarna app to the Afterpay app to the Zip app just to know what you've paid and when the next payment is due. Cushion does kind of all this work for you. And 
the last part of this is why has nobody done this? And there, there are a few reasons. The first is uh, we live in the era of APIs. FinTech companies are used to plugging into Plaid to, to get you know consumer balance and transaction data, plug it to Stripe to accept payments, and APIs just make things easy. But in the case of buy now, pay later, there are no APIs. There is no central source of this loan data. Plaid doesn't have it. Uh, buy now, pay later companies don't give that to you. They don't have a beautiful API saying take all of our loan data. And um, a lot of the buy now, pay later companies don't report these payments to the credit bureaus. So if you're leaning on someone's credit score to underwrite them, you're missing all of their loans when you're making that decision. Um, and so for all these reasons, no one has built this because it's very difficult and very painful to do. So most companies either didn't think that they should do this or they were not able to overcome the lack of access, lack of API to make it happen. Well, it's it's great to hear the story of how you're solving a, a problem in a unique way. And you're clearly then solving it for a large swath of people, which is uh, at some point going to attract the attention of um, somebody that wants to fund the work that you're doing. So congratulations, you guys, um, you know, raised $12 million Series A last year. Um, some of the well-known funds were participating in that. And just wondering if you can share a bit of your point of view about the state of sort of fintech funding, um, where it's going in the next 12 months. You obviously went through that cycle uh, to get that funding around last year. Where do you think the industry will be heading? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a fun time to be a startup founder, especially if you need to raise money in the next six to 12 months. Um, we're in a very unforgiving market. So a company that would have raised money in 2021 because they had a grand vision and a great story is not going to get funded in this market without something to show for it, namely traction. Um, the bar is just higher than it was before across all rounds from pre-seed through later stage funding. So Good companies, great teams, companies with product market fit and great unit economics, they're still going to get funded. But companies that are trying to fake it until they make it are going to have a hard time convincing VCs to come along for that ride. So a VC that would have given money to maybe 30 companies is going to say, no, let's just concentrate that those bets into five that are spectacular, that are crushing it across all, you know, all the metrics look are up and to the right. Um, and so the way we think about it is, we're, we're trying to solve a huge problem and I, we're trying to do it in a way that's very hard to copy. And so being one of one uh, does give us a huge advantage in this environment. And it is already attracting the interest of investors, even though we're not raising money. But um, founders have to be incredibly thoughtful about product market fit and their metrics. And uh, there used to be this concept of, oh, let's maybe let's go out there and test the fundraising market and see if we can convince someone to give us money. That is no longer happening. VCs are basically telling their funds, their portfolio companies, you, your numbers better be very buttoned up before you go to market. So, Paul, earlier when we first started talking, you said you part of the reason why you started Cushion was because it's something you're passionate about, something you care about. And I think that is something that between yourself, Barb and I, we have that in common as we want to build something that will benefit people. And we're very passionate about what we believe in. 
looking at the product that you're doing, you're helping consumers with bill management, you're helping them figuring out the best way of utilizing their financial resources to address the bills that they have and the obligations they have. One of the things that I keep thinking about is all of the fintechs and financial services incumbents, if you will, are rolling out these products that in one sense is saying, oh, we are giving consumers flexibility and choices in how they pay, right? That's always how they say, um, you can pay in four, you can pay in six, as you say. But then on the other, on the other hand, we all know that for a lot of consumers, this can easily get out of hand and they end up incurring debts that they didn't originally wanted to do. So where does that responsibility lie when it comes to rolling out product and innovating and giving, giving consumer choices versus making sure that we don't end up helping them dig a hole that they get deeper and deeper into? How do we, how do we be more responsible, if you will? Or is that really what we need to be thinking about? Oh, that's a really, really, really tough question because, you know, businesses, they, as much as they want to help the consumer, they ultimately also need to make money and stay afloat and keep their own lights on. Um, and on the consumer side, consumers are mostly trying to just survive. Um, but given the opportunity to try to get the best of uh, all worlds, which means I still want to do the thing, even though I I'm, I'm, may not be doing well financially, um, it's it's tough because that's what by now Pilator is doing. Like I interview a lot of our customers and they'll say, you know what? I wasn't going to buy this $500 thing that I couldn't afford. But when I hit pay in four, you know, now I'm just paying $100 and some change. I can afford that. And so they move forward with that. And then they do that a few more times. And before you know it, it's $2,000 that they owe in loans. So where does the balance lie? Ultimately, the consumer needs to be responsible for their own money. They need to be responsible for their own choices. Um, I think there are a lot of companies that will come in and, can, and make it easy for people to spend money. I do hope that there are some big, big companies that will be built that can do good by the consumer and help them get out of their own way and help them say no rather than yes to everything while also being able to have a profitable business. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do is saying, listen, we understand you want to buy all these things. We understand that you have all these expenses. Maybe let's say no to that next pair of shoes. Let's pay down your debt a little bit. Um, but yeah. That's a very, very tough um, question to answer. When you were talking about um, building the company and working with your team earlier, you mentioned you've got a team of you know data scientists that have been working quite hard on what you bring to market. Let's talk about AI for a bit. Um, obviously, the hype is all around generative AI right now. Uh, and there's quite a bit of scrutiny in terms of how that gets applied in financial services as a regulated industry. I think we would expect that scrutiny. Um, wondering what gets you the most excited or hopeful about how we can apply these kinds of tools and technologies to benefit people. Yeah, no, it's it's a fascinating and slightly terrifying time to, to be alive. Uh, things are changing incredibly quickly. Um, I spent a lot of time playing around with ChatGPT and opening eye and a bunch of like different tools and plugging it into Figma. And it's, it's really fascinating what you can do. Um, so on the positive side, um, this level of AI is definitely just a major unlock of productivity for companies. You can accomplish more and faster with less resources. 
Um, like we don't have a marketing team at Cushion, but we're able to lean on ChatGPT to help us with content, write emails, A-B test subject lines, apply to conferences for us. Like there's already a lot of stuff that we've just unlocked, just messing around with ChatGPT early on. Um, the other exciting thing uh, on the positive side, I would say is just uh, fintech. the fintech space is going to get some major unlocks. So several companies over the past few, de- uh, few I'd say decades, but mainly the past five to 10 years, have tried to make you know access to human finance experts affordable, and they fail to either scale, sit scarce, either fails to scale the supply side, the demand side, or find a price that is profitable but also doesn't turn off the consumer. But with something like ChatGPT four, you can offer incredibly cheap, incredibly personal financial help on demand and at scale, and that's very very exciting. So there's kind of these waves where people have great ideas and then something happens technologically, like when we when mobile phones became more prevalent, all that, where it just unlocks companies that were not possible before. That's all very, very exciting. I, I like what you just said. It's um exciting time to be alive is also very terrifying terrifying unknown is always terrifying isn't it um what's what's next for you guys um we are i can't believe it more than halfway through 2023 i don't know what happened to this year um what's next for you guys so if it's okay with you i just want to say the slightly worrisome side of the ai piece because i just feel like it is important to note if that's fine with you oh it's important yes um Despite all the excitement and and we're we're using ChatGPT left and right, um, there are a few things that are just keeping us up at night. Uh, not just as a company, but just I think as an industry. So just the question about fraud, like what are fraudsters going to do with this? In the right hands, magic can happen. In the wrong hands, it's going to be pretty terrifying. Um, there's a big data privacy question. So companies are trying to like move faster, but an employee who's trying to cut corners may upload some. PII into chat GPT. And before you know it, they've leaked information they shouldn't. But the thing that I've been thinking about the most is uh, who's which company's moats are getting destroyed. So a company may have spent three years building this proprietary technology, and then somebody decides to compete with them and says, let's start day zero using OpenAI. And now they've shortcutted this entire process. And so when we discussed this internally, we talked about like we do need guidelines for what we can use ChatGPT for, what we can't. But also, we just asked ourselves, how would we destroy our own company with this product? Like we took a step back and said, like if somebody were to compete with us today, can they take us down by just starting day zero with this new AI tech? And I think most companies should be doing that exact same thing to understand how defensible their technology actually is. I think another interesting question um, from just hearing you say that it brings up is if company does roll out something, right, a technology like what you were saying, um, humanized financial advice, if you will, right, and who will bear the responsibility if something goes south? And we already see it recently. There was a healthcare company. I believe they wrote out a um, AI chatbot and that company was supposed to be giving advice for people who are struggling with eating disorder. That chatbot ended up giving advice on how to get on a diet. Now, one can imagine 
like, wait a minute, people who are going to that the site for resources for help because they have an eating disorder, the last thing that they need, the last thing that they should be seeing is this is what you do to lose weight. Um, and I think they quickly pulled the bot down. And the side story of that was originally they used to have human advisors, people that man the site and chat with the people that come to look for help. And they removed that and they replaced it with a bot. Thankfully, they found out before anything happened, but it could really go south really fast. And then is that the responsibility of the company that put the bot? Is that the responsibility of the software company that coded the tool? I, I, I think that that becomes a gray area, and especially when it comes to money. I mean, ultimately, if, if you buy a chainsaw, right, and then you do something crazy with it, right, it's it's kind of the, your responsibility to use it properly. So the company who decides to license the software, they still have to say, all right, we're not going to let this actually talk direct. Sorry for the chainsaw analogy, but I know that may be a bit extreme, but you, you're still the company's responsibility to say, all right, this could go really, really well or really poorly. So we're not going to eliminate the human. We're going to actually help them research 10 times faster, and then they can make that decision for themselves. Uh, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I had to laugh, sorry, because I, I, I live in an area where everywhere you go, you see a sign outside that says, guns are not allowed inside. Knives and weapons are not allowed inside. So I totally get the analogy. Um, Barb, that's the beautiful thing of living in the East. <laughs> well, um, you know, I think maybe you've given us a few clues on what could be next because you're talking about, look, it's our responsibility to experiment, even if we know how we're going to disrupt ourselves. So let's get back to that. What's next yep. for you and your team? Yeah. Um, so our ultimate goal is to create a new payment rail for bills in America. And what I mean by that is we want to become the place consumers plug into to manage and pay their bills and where merchants plug in to get paid more and faster. Um, but in order to get there, our focus is to make get a, a few million consumers onto our bill pay app where they focus on buy now, pay later because there's a massive need right now. So consumers have stacked loans for the past two years, and a lot of them have kind of lost track of their budgeting and whatnot. So we want to help them manage and pay those loans, build their credit, and expand from there into helping them pay the rest of their bills, utilities, et cetera. Um, and the role of AI and ML is a big question mark. We're not trying to you know, just shove this into our app for, for the sake of using buzzwords. If it can be a major unlock, if it can help us move faster, fantastic. But if it's just a distraction, we're absolutely not going to use it. Um, I, I, I like to always joke, and I used to say this five years ago, which was AI and ML at a startup. AI means automate incrementally, and ML is manual labor. And although it's very tempting to skip steps with this new technology, you still have to do the, the fundamental groundwork and research before you start throwing massive models at your problems. So in short, we have a lot of work to do. But it feels great to be building a company that can do well financially while also doing good for consumers. And I know that's what you guys are all about as well. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. And now I know why Tillman and Sarah likes you lots. So thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. It's, it's an immense pleasure. And uh, thank you for doing what you do. We need more of you. Um, and we need more companies who are willing to do the hard work for the well-being of consumers and in everyone in general. So thank you again. And for our listeners, thank you so much for joining Barb and I for another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next week.